Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We pray, come, just wash over us. We want to be in your presence, Father. Lord, we want to engage heaven. Let your word bring life. Let it bring wholeness. Lord, help us to embrace everything that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we've gone through this this week, and um, this is supposed to be my quiet week off between jobs. Yeah, righto. I think Friday we ended up just taking the day, didn't we? And didn't do much because it was ridiculous. But as I as I was sitting down and looking through this and and just praying through what to, to say this week, um, the Lord really spoke to me about our focus <clears throat> and how. We actually end up, a lot of it relates to, to stress and to worry and, and to pressure. But when we go through life, we spend a lot of time looking at what the cost is around things. I know when I did financial planning and working in finance and so on, one of the things you, you say with people when they, they're trying to save and they're saying, oh, I can't save, I, you know, I like to go shopping, I like to buy this. One of the things we say to them is, what does it cost you in time? In that if you made, you know, $30 an hour, and so you go and buy something for $60, that's two hours of your working life that purchases that thing. And it helps people to change their spending habits because they're realizing that to buy that $60 item, they have to work for two hours to pay for it. And if they put it under finance... They've usually got to work about a whole day. If they've got a credit card and the interest keeps spinning over and spinning over. And is it really worth that much time? And counting the cost is really important. You know, if you're building a house, you should count the cost. Work out what it is to actually, what's it going to cost to cost? Your Bible says if you don't work out the costing of building a building before you build it, you're full. Because you get started and realize you can't afford to finish it and you look pretty silly with, you know, this thing with walls and no roof. You know, if you're going on a trip, you count the cost. What does it cost to get where you're going, to stay there, food, all the things that you want to do? Well, that's why you're supposed to do it. I'm not sure we quite did that last time. <laughs> we worked out the cost and went, yeah, we can't afford it, we're going anyway. It is wisdom. But there's a danger if you, if you stay at that place of counting the cost. And this is what I see over and over and over again, is people work out the cost and then they stay at the point of the cost. And they don't move on to the end result. And this equates a lot to our giving. Now, people work out, okay, we want to give this much, or we want to, this is what we're going to give, this is our tithe, this is our offerings, this is what we want to give to, you know, this aid organization or to that person. And they focus on the giving, but 
God actually never called us to be focused on giving. I know that might be a revelation because if you look at most churches and you hear most sermons around giving, it's all about the giving. But God's actually not focused on the giving. He's actually focused on the harvest. Because God actually has, he's interested in the process, but he has a result in everything he does. If you want to take Jesus, you know, the father gave Jesus his only son. But he wasn't focused on the giving. He was focused on the result of Jesus coming and dying for us. Because the father, by giving his one child, has gained many children. Us. That's the harvest. That's the result of the father giving. He gave Jesus not because he was giving Jesus. He gave Jesus so that he could receive many children. Does that make sense? He wasn't focused on the giving. He was focused on the result. He was focused on the harvest, and that's why he so willingly gave. That's why Jesus so willingly gave his life, because there was a harvest on the end of it. And we do the same thing. We've got to get our eyes off our giving and our eyes on the harvest. Jesus said that the fields are ripe unto harvest. So when you pray, that's sowing seeds. It's also stepping into harvesting. When you give financially, you're sowing seeds. You're putting them out there. When you do good things, when you help somebody else, you're sowing seeds. When you go to work, The work that you do is a seed. And you expect a harvest from your employer. You expect them to pay you, yes? Most people do. Obviously, only some of you do. The rest of you, I've got a job for you. I can pay your wages at that rate. If you don't expect anything back, it's cool. But what we need to do is actually get our eyes off the cost and our eyes onto the harvest. Because that's how God sees things. I think too often we've talked about giving, 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 and giving is important because giving makes you like Jesus. But understand that when we give, we actually give to a harvest. I mean, no farmer goes out, puts a seed in the ground, and then sits there looking at the ground focused on the seed. They don't go around and, you know, dig the seed back up and go, is it still there? Is it doing anything? If they do that, they're going to destroy the crop. Why does a farmer put seed into the ground? Because they're expecting a harvest. And they're expecting more to come back than what they put in. And if you read most of the verses around giving, there's actually a lot of focus on the actual result of the giving more than there is around giving. Because when you have, when you see, the thing is, there's a reason behind this, is when you focus on the giving and you focus on what you've sown, it actually makes room for fear. Because if you think, I've given that, I've, I've given that, I no longer have that. It's, see, when you give something, you have to let it go. And I think too often 
we don't let it go. I always remember, I used to like um, the, the show Fraser. It was on a while ago, for those of you around old enough to remember it. But um, he was out of work at the time. He was, a radio, he was a radio psychologist, had his own show, and he had an assistant called Roz. And what happened was the station changed their whole programming, and they both got fired from their job. And so they had no work, but Fraser had a whole lot of money because, you know, he still did his stuff. And, but Roz was really struggling. So, you know, she had a few couple of bills to pay and she was really struggling having coffee one day. And he said, let me help you out. And she's going, no, no, no. He said, no, let me help you out. So he gave her like $1,000. He said, this should tide you over. You know, the station will sort out soon. We'll be back working. You just hold it and you pay it back then. Anyway, he's walking down the street and he sees Roz in a beauty parlor, getting a massage and, you know, getting all this stuff done. And and he's like, I thought she had no money. And then the next day he sees her walking down the street and she's got shopping bags. And it's not from, you know, Kmart. She's gone to the high-end Tiffany's and, you know, she's got all this high-end stuff in these bags. And she's like, what's going on? I thought she had no money, so I gave her that money. And now she's wasting it. And so he goes out of his way in his usually bumbling self to try and, you know, talk to her about it. Turns out that she'd got a voucher for the spa for her birthday and hadn't used it. That her mum knew her situation and said, go and treat yourself. And had given her some money to actually, a voucher to actually go into one of the high-end stores and buy something for her. But because Fraser was so focused on the sea that he'd given... He couldn't see the potential results of that. And we're the same. If you focus only on what you're given and not on the result of what you've given, on the harvest that can come for it, then you actually get into a point of fear. Because his motivation, Fraser with Rose, his motivation was she's going to spend all that money and be back in the same situation. It was fear-motivated. But God never called us to be fear-motivated. He called us to be faith-motivated. And to be faith-motivated, you have to have a clear vision and a clear purpose. You know, we look at the treehouse right now, and we go through, and we go through all the costings. We go through it with a fine-tooth comb. We take the whole thing apart. We put it all back together again to make sure that it actually is going to work and do what we want to do. But there comes a point at the end of that where we've done our due diligence where we have to go, fantastic, now let's go and do it and this is where we're going. We can't focus on the cost. You have to work out the cost, but then you don't stay there. You have to move on to the vision and the purpose and the harvest. And so we look at it and we go, how many people can we reach for Jesus through this? How many lives can we transform? What can we do with the money that's going to come in to be able to continue to spread the gospel? How can we continue to build and develop the business? How can we continue to build and develop the church? How can we use this for the purpose that God's putting it for us? But if we always look at the cost and we always start worrying about the cost and oh, how are we going to pay the rent, how are we going to do this, how are we going to do that then we'll stay in fear. You have to do your due diligence, but then you have to move on to the purpose. It's the same when we give. 
When you've given, you've got to let that giving go and focus on the harvests. People say to me, but how do I know how much to give? It's really easy. You see, there's this religious thing that goes around church that says, you know, it's more blessed to give than receive. And that's biblical. It's in Acts. But do you know why it's more blessed to give than receive? Giving makes you like Jesus, for one. Giving makes you like the Father. The Father gave Jesus. We have a God who gives generously. So when you get into giving, you become like God. You take on His nature. But God also knows that when you give, it opens you up to receive. When you hold back, the Bible says you actually open yourself up to poverty. But He blesses those who give. So giving brings blessing into your life. That's why it's more blessed to give than receive. Because it receives automatic, as far as God's concerned. But we focused on the giving and we said, it's all about the giving, it's all about the giving. It's actually not all about the giving. It's actually giving with a purpose. You can actually give expecting God to give back to you. Now religion will say to you, no, that's not right, because religion's about law. And it says, no, you should just give and not expect anything back. That is not biblical. Luke chapter 6, 38 says, have you got that one for me, Ivan? Then I'm jumping around. It says to give, that's, that's the only give in the whole thing. Because the rest of it says that God is going to give back to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. Is God going to pour it? He says it's like holding your shirt out and God pouring it into there. That's the context. That's how God sees giving. When you, he says, you know, he talks about the parable of the talents. He says about sowing and reaping. He says when you sow, expect to reap more. Any farmer that goes out expects to reap more than what they've sown. You know, they put, if they put 100 seeds in the ground, they would expect at least 1,000 seed in return. Because what's the point in getting 100 seed back? They've got nothing to sow or nothing to eat. But when you receive 1,000 seed back, they can then take 200 seed, put that aside for next year's sowing, and the rest of it they get to live off. That's smart, isn't it? That's the way God has made the world. That is the way he created things to work. That is what he says in the Bible, that if you give, focus in on your harvest and expect a hundredfold. He says, you can have 30, you can have 60, you can have 100-fold. It's actually up to you, not up to God. He gives us the choice. So you can expect a 100-fold return. You know, people say to me, well, I don't know how much to give. It's really easy. Give your tithe, because that's God's anyway. It says that. He says if you do that, he opens up the windows of heaven and pours out such a blessing, you can't contain it in Malachi. That's pretty cool. You're not in that point yet where the blessings... Yeah, and then where he says, open up the windows of heaven, that's like when he opened up the heavens and flooded the earth with Noah. Same wording. That's how God sees just tithing. If you give above that, he says you can receive 30, 60, 100 fold according to what you believe. So if I work out what I give, if I need $100,000, I would say, okay, well then I would give $1,000. Because $1,000 times 100... 
is 100,000. It's simple. God has not complicated things. He's kept it simple. I take the $1,000 and I give it wherever God tells me to give it. And then I let it go because it's seed in the ground. And I start to see my harvest. And I talk my harvest. And I believe for my harvest. That's how God's economy works. It works by giving. It works by sowing and expecting a harvest. You know, part of this whole treehouse thing, there was another guy who wanted to get this, this, this place. And so he rang up the, because we're leasing the building, he rang up the owner of the building and, and he was wheeling and dealing from what we can tell. And he got the lease down $50,000, which is passed on to us. Thank you very much. It's a nice start, isn't it? 50000 a year off the lease. But he was wheeling and dealing and doing all these fancy things and to get the business and to get into the building and so on. And so we rang the owner up and we were just straight. We said, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what our plans are for the place. This is what we do. And she said, sounds fantastic. You get a $50,000 discount. So our lease, their lease, actually, it actually works out to more than that because their leasing costs by the time they do everything were $276,000 last year. Ours are going to be 185. So it's, near, well, it's about 90,000 by the time you get to the end of it. See, that's God, isn't it? But we were straight up. We didn't wheel and deal. We were straight up and said, this is what we do. This is who we are. And so she said, she, she said I want you guys to, because we were telling by the broker, don't put anything in. We're going to go with the other guy. He gets first go. She said to us, actually, she said, ignore the broker. She says, the guy has not put anything in yet. And she says, I've got his number right on my desk where he's asked me to ring him back to confirm. I'm not in a hurry to ring him back. I want you guys to have it. So that's God going before you. So put your proposal in. I'm going to take my time calling this guy. So we did. And so we sit at the broker's office and he says, we're not putting the other guy's proposal up. Because he hasn't got all his stuff sorted. What hasn't he got sorted? He hasn't got sorted the building. We have. See, that's God. God goes before you when you are harvest focused. When we first talked about a building fund, our focus was on what we were going to do with it, not on what we had. You know, we, we give as a, as a church, we give into an organization called Christ for All Nations. These guys, for every dollar they spend, they get somebody saved. You know, we're talking million, they'll cost them a million dollars to put a crusade on in the middle of Africa. But they will get one million people coming forward, filling out a card and getting connected into a church and finding Jesus. They're seeing healings and miracles. So we take our tithe as a church and we give it to them. Does it cost us? Can we afford to do that? You know what? We can't afford to tithe as a church often. We can't afford to give. There are times we've had to hold off on paying bills so that we can actually give as we felt God has called us to give. But you know what? The harvest comes back in because our focus is on the harvest. Our focus is on getting people saved, on getting people to know Jesus. And so we give and we sow into there because our harvest we want out of that is we want souls. 
We want people to come to know Jesus. And since we started doing that, and about five months ago, we intentionally made a decision as to how we were going to do that and to be harvest-focused. And we started giving as a church five months ago. In that time, we've seen people saved. In that time, we've seen our, our income double. In that time, we've had an opportunity to step into the whole treehouse situation. None of that was there before. When you're harvest-focused, when you're focused on where you're going and your purpose and what God has for you, when you give expecting God to give back to you, it changes how you see things. And suddenly what you give doesn't hurt as much. Suddenly what you give, you're actually more willing to give and it becomes a blessing to give because you understand God has a result on the end of it. That he says to give with intention. There are times you can just give to be a blessing to somebody. You're expecting on that. That's cool. But God actually says if you have a need, then give towards it. And go to God and say, where do I give this? Sometimes he says, give it into the church. So we do. Sometimes he says, give it to that person. So we give it to that person. Or give it to that organization. Or buy this person that. And you know what? The more you do it, I'm telling you, this is the other side of it though. The more you do it, the more he'll ask you to give. All right, and I know that because that's what he did. You know, I remember when I was, when I worked, I used to make 20 bucks working on a Saturday morning. $5 an hour. Worked for an engineer cleaning his machines. I made my 20 bucks. I remember looking at my $2 tithe. When you make 20 bucks, $2 is a lot. But I remember thinking, does this really make a difference to the church? My $2? Yeah, what, what does $2 do? You know, I was, in, I was in a church, 150 people. What's two bucks for me? What's that going to do? But I gave it. Then I became a pastor and I discovered what $2 does. $2 every week, every year, what does that equal? Well done, thank you, Ben. $110. You know what $110 buys? I can get like three microphone cables for that. I can buy two chairs for that. See, every little bit makes a difference. And so I started off by giving $2. And then you know what God does? He, in- he blesses you and increases your income. And so you end up giving more. And then he says, I want you to go beyond that. I want you to give a little bit more and a little bit more. But I find that every time I give, if you're harvest-focused, if you're focused on him and what he has for you, he actually brings blessing back. My tithe is more than $2 now. You know what I mean? Because that's the blessing of God. And I find that my tithe goes up every year because God blesses me every year with more and more and more. To the point where I've actually given away three cars in my lifetime. And I want to keep doing that and keep increasing that. When I gave away my first car, my income that year was $13,000. But I had two grand in my hand, and this couple were looking for a car, and they couldn't afford one. And I said, $2, $2,000. said, here, go buy yourself a car. Because God told me to. But there's a harvest that comes on that. That God 
blesses you and you can go back to him and say, I gave this God. So that means that you have to give me 100 fold on that. So don't get upset when I drive into my new car. All right? But if you have a need, give towards your need. Let me tell you how to do this really quickly, shall I? Because we're running out of time. All right. How do you become harvest focused? Really quickly. There's four points. I can do them quickly. First off, get a clear vision. Focus on what God is calling you to do and then plant a seed towards it. All right? We have a vision as a church see 20,000 people. So we give to Christ for all nations because they see millions saved every month. So we give into there and we sow it as a harvest and we expect the harvest. I want a dollar for every seed we sow. Not just for them, but for us. Secondly, work hard. All right? Some people go, oh, God's going to do it, so it's just going to happen. No, no, God does it. He blesses the work of your hands. All right? We can sit here and go, oh, God will just do it. God will just bring people in. No, no, no. We have to go through a whole process. All right? I took my week off to do half the due diligence it takes for us to go in the treehouse. And I want to get it done. I've got about four days to finish the whole thing. Do full proposals up. Not excited by that. That's work. But it says in Proverbs 6, verse 9, it says, How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands, and what? Poverty comes on you like a prowler. In other words, if you're finding lack, are you sleeping too much? Are you sitting on your butt doing nothing? I'm not saying become a workaholic because God blesses the work of your hands. Have balance in your life. But let me ask you, are you actually doing anything or are you sitting around doing nothing and just saying, oh, God will do it? No, God will do it through you. He'll do it around, above, and beyond what you can do, but he will do a lot of it through you. All right? You don't get taken out of the picture. All right, number three. Are we okay? This is really quick. Number three, renew your mind. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you will know God's will and purpose. His perfect will and purpose, the Amplified says. All right? Change how you think. I intentionally only listen to certain preachers. There are some people I don't listen to. Oh, they're very good. No, they're not. Because when I walk out, I feel worse than when I started listening to them. I've been to churches where I've walked out feeling more depressed than when I walked in. That's not good. That's not God. Now, there's times where God's challenged me. I mean, we sat here with, when Justin Abraham was here a few months ago, and I sat in that front row, and I felt a little gutted by the end of his first night. But you know what? I felt gutted because I realized that there were certain things that we'd done that we needed to change, and it was a real challenge around that change. But I also had a clear vision and a purpose. So while I felt totally gutted, I felt full of faith and hope. I'm not talking about that sort of thing. I'm talking about places where you go in and you walk out and you feel condemned. You know what? I never, ever felt condemned when he challenged us that night. I felt challenged and I felt inspired. That's what God does. 
You need to renew your mind. So I have guys like Jesse Duplantis, Bill Winston, Kenneth Copeland, all these guys. I get their stuff and I listen to it. And if I'm feeling like I can't do it, if I'm feeling I can't get through, then I go and listen to that stuff. And does it take time? Yes. Can I afford the time? Probably not. But I go and do it anyway. And I've got to the point where I'd rather listen to these guys than watch TV. Because the only thing good on TV is the grand final this Saturday. And this is where I'd like to go on record and say, I supported the Dockers on Friday night because I thought they'd be easy to beat in the grand final. (laughs) But I supported them, but they were consistent. (laughs) They lost. (laughs) All right? But you've got to... You've got to renew your mind and you've got to put in the good stuff. You keep putting what's in on TV, it's going to educate you to fail. It's going to educate you to hold on to what you have. It's going to educate you in the world's way of thinking which says, hold on to everything, don't let it go, just keep it, worry, 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 stress. Because that's what it does. I don't listen to the news. I can't remember the last time I saw the news. In fact, I do remember the last time I saw the news, I was timing it and thought the sport should be on about now. I don't bother because it's not news. It's the same stuff. Someone will have died. Someone will be upset with somebody else. There'll be something wrong with our political system. The finance market probably looks worse than what it should. And nothing's great. And there might be some story about a cat. That's the news, isn't it? And then I go to the sport and tell you who's on drugs, who's messed up, who's not doing things right. So why bother? You could take that half an hour and just jump onto YouTube and listen to a great sermon for absolutely free and be totally inspired and full of faith. And it would change your life for the better, not the worse. You know, why are people afraid of sharks? Because we're told we should be. Why are people worried about their houses being broken into? Because we're told we should be. Why are we worried about people on drugs? Because we're told we should be. But you know what the Bible says? The exact opposite. It says you have dominion over every creature in the air, on the earth, and in the sea. So therefore, sharks cannot touch you. You have the authority over them. That's what the Bible says. Very first book. It says that no weapon formed against you can prosper. And it says, she says, if the devil tries to steal anything from you, so someone broke in your house and steal it, he has to repay you seven times plus all his furniture. That's what the Bible says. I'll show you later if you want to find it. And it says he gives his angels charge over you to protect you in all your ways. You see, we've got to change how we think. You've got to renew your mind. Stop putting the rubbish in. Start putting in the good things. Be transformed. And fifth, when you've sowed your seed and you're expecting a harvest, stand. Ephesians says, Hebrews says, sorry, 6, don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience, faith and patience, they're twins. You can't have faith without having patience. Inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he can swear by anyone greater, he swore by himself, saying, "Surely I will bless. Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you." And so, after he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. God has the promise for you of a harvest. 
But you have to focus on the harvest. You have to have your mind renewed. You have to do the work he needs you to do. You have to get a clear vision and purpose of what you're doing. So get your eyes off your seed. Just give it and let it go. And get your eyes on the harvest. And go to God and say, I have given this. So I therefore, according to your word, expect a hundredfold return in the name of Jesus. Because that's the authority you have. And it says that you can boldly approach the throne of grace. Why is it the throne of grace? Because the grace says that all the things you've done wrong don't matter before God. He's already washed them away. See, often you go there, we can't, oh, we can't do that because oh, I've done all this. Song. God doesn't see any of that. It doesn't matter what you did 10 minutes ago. If you have confessed your sin, he is faithful and just and forgiven your sin, cleansed you from all unrighteousness, so you can approach that throne of grace. Yep, that's the revelation, see? Ah. You can approach that throne of grace and say, in the name of Jesus, I receive my harvest. I'm going to leave it there, because otherwise I'll keep going for another hour. But I want to say to you, get your eyes on your harvest. If you want somebody in your family saved, you want a friend that comes to know Jesus, get your eyes and see them as knowing Jesus. If you have financial lack, get your eyes on what God says about that situation. He says he supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So get your eyes off your seed, get your eyes off your situation, and get your eyes on the harvest. Get your eyes on him. If you're struggling with sickness, get your eyes on his healing because he is the Lord who heals. Whatever the situation is, change how you see it and don't see the problem. Don't see the seed you've done it. If you haven't sown a seed towards it, then sow a seed towards it. So then you've got something to actually reap on. But it's your eyes on the harvest. And he will abundantly supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And he's into good. I mean, a God who paves the streets with gold, I reckon he's got enough to share around, don't you? And he's a father who gives good gifts. That's a whole other sermon. Let's go there. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. You're an awesome God. Lord, I just pray that we'll get a revelation of our harvest. We'll get a revelation of what you have for us. Lord, sometimes we're too clever for our own good. I know that. And we try and work things out for ourselves. But Lord, I know that you have a harvest for us. So Lord, help us to to step into your way of doing things. Lord, to be a people who are generous, to be a people who give, knowing that you give to us in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing, you want to pour it out upon us. Lord, that your desire is to open the windows of heaven and to bless your children, even more than we want to bless our children. Because you are a good God. Lord, help us to see the harvest that's before us. And to step into that harvest. Lord, that we will see people saved. That we will have the needs that we have met. The stress lifted off our lives. And step into your abundance and your blessing. That you will be glorified through us. Lord, we bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.